This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 243. I am thrilled to bring you this final instalment in our uh, Parents and Carers Kids uh, series. It's been amazing having the likes of Rod Soper on the show, uh, Pip Lincoln, uh, who spoke very directly to parents and caring for ourselves on the parenting journey. And of course, Dr. Carrie Rigoni on the vagus nerve for babies and kids as well. Uh, today we have the wonderful Maggie Dent joining us back on the show again. Maggie is one of our most listened to guests with the first chat that we had a couple of years ago when we discussed mothering our boys, not just the book, but a whole bunch of incredible tools within that book and beyond. And today I'm celebrating the release of Parental as Anything, uh, Maggie's new book, but of course, again, we talk far beyond the book. Uh, I, I don't want to just literally provide a bunch of questions for our guests where we just talk about the book because there is just so much in the mind of someone as wise as Maggie to um, support us in our parenting experience. And then the book still gets to be a surprise. So it's, it is an excellent book. And today we're talking about quite a few different ages and stages and some key things that I've talked about with parents in the low-tox life community over the years. And I really wanted to bring some of those issues to the fore, the more complex things for us to navigate, uh, such as uh, kids transitioning at different times, so transitioning into school, transitioning into high school, uh, things like boundaries, discipline, bribes, rewards, acknowledgement, prize giving, uh, how to navigate winning, losing and everything in between. Uh, and it, it really is just a powerhouse of a, a show with Maggie who just unfolds wise perler after perler. So I know you guys are going to enjoy today's uh, guest so much. Please do remember if you think there might be a parent friend or a carer friend or a teacher friend who'd like to have a listen, uh, we actually talk about the incredible role that teachers play in our kids' lives as well. Please do share the show. Uh, you can either tag me on Instagram in your stories or just email it to a friend or even screen grab it and say, I listened to this and it was great. That is how good stuff spreads. And I know so many of you have done that uh, for the show in the past. I would love for that to continue for any new listeners. Uh, you know, why be the wise one all on your own? Why not share it with a friend? And I appreciate that in advance. So uh, we're going to jump into that conversation in just a little minute, but we have not one, but two incredible low-tox swap offers for you this month uh, with two incredible brands that I'm so passionate about. I love the work that Block Blue Light does. Uh, they are the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products. And I also absolutely adore Oz Climate. That's A-U-S Climate. Uh, and uh, these guys make Australia's most loved 
dehumidifiers and air filters. And uh, I'm going to focus specifically on dehumidifiers. I think these are products that people need to have in their home if they have a home that hasn't been built to circulate air uh, efficiently. Uh, And I think uh, if you live somewhere humid, it's really important to dry out your house overnight uh, and make sure that there's no opportunity for mould to grow, which of course it does if humidity is sustained at 60% or more inside. So it's really something to think about, especially East Coast areas uh, in America, in Australia. I know that those uh, those battles are very common, but also if you have a house that just might not have been built for great airflow and you might notice you wake up in the morning and there's condensation on the windows uh, and that's really a clue that you need to dry things out regularly. And what we do is we actually run dehumidifiers in the bedrooms during the day, just a couple of hours here and there each. Um, and uh, especially in summer when it's very humid in Sydney, And then overnight in the living area, we also run one between the laundry and the bathroom just to make sure that there's absolutely no buildup of moisture in either space where moisture can very easily build up. So I like to recommend to families that you pop a dehumidifier on for a couple of hours after everyone's had their showers in the morning or the bath in the evening. Uh, and just dry that air out. It is much easier to prevent mold than it is to get rid of it once it emerges, right? So especially if you've had remediation work done or you've regrouted your bathroom, I see this question so often, how do I get mold out of the grout? You stop it from growing in the first place. That is the cheapest, easiest way to do it. You don't have to use products. You don't have to spend time. You literally just flick a switch and dry it out regularly on the daily. Even every second day would be better than nothing because it's about 48 hours before mold starts to grow. So, um, that's my advice. I think everyone needs one. So their website is ausclimate.com.au. And what you're doing by investing in a dehumidifier is you are stopping the growth of mold and potential mold illness. And you guys who have followed me for a while now know that I've been through this. We're still recovering and uh, it is not fun. So you want to make sure that you uh, are acting on the front foot instead of the back foot. Um, Obviously stops condensation. Uh, reduces asthma and allergy flare-ups. So if you're preventing mold spore growth, dust mite growth in humid environments, then you're also reducing some of those potential triggers for things like asthma and allergy. Uh, In 2021, so this year, uh, productreview.com.au have uh, awarded OzClimate the dehumidifier brand of the year, and you have an extra 5% off uh, with the uh, Oz Climate um, range uh, already discounted, so they're giving you a little extra. And all you have to do is enter Low Tox Life in the checkout. Uh, that discount can also be redeemed over the phone uh, with phone orders verbally. So if you haven't had a dehumidifier before and you just want to speak to them and workshop your options on size, on style of dehumidifier, because there are a couple of different types, then I would give them a buzz. 
Uh, and you can do that again via their website, ozclimate.com.au, and the Oz is spelt A-U-S. So remember your code is LOWTOXLIFE. That's it, easy, and that gets you an extra 5% off their already discounted prices. Now, you also have an incredible giveaway that you can enter simply by commenting in the show notes. I will be announcing the winner next Monday's show. Uh, and uh, the thing that you could win is valued at $629, and it's the Oz Climate Cool Seasons Premium 10-litre desiccant uh, dehumidifier. It's a powerhouse little de- dehumidifier um, soaking up 10 litres out of your uh, atmosphere in the day. And that works really well for a, a large bedroom uh, or oscillating between bathroom and um and laundry if you need to. Uh, Really, really great uh, product. So good luck to everybody in this last week of the giveaway for everyone who might like to win it. Uh, And I'll announce the winner on next week's show. Now, uh, Block Blue Light, I also want to give some good time to here. And I want to focus on their lighting today because um, we noticed the most amazing difference when we switched to their uh, Sweet Dreams light bulbs in our living areas and our bedside table lights. It is the most relaxing light you could possibly hope to have in your evening space. Um, Everyone has different needs. You might need to block absolutely all blue and green light. Um, Well, actually, the Sweet Dreams light bulbs do block all blue light. Um, but if you need something really quite dark and you need that pure red bulb, they have those as well. Uh, but I wanted to say the range of lighting products uh, are just fantastic and they've really grown it over the last year. So you now have the Sweet Dreams Sleep Lights, which are uh, gorgeous and that's what we use in our home, in our living space and our bedrooms. We just literally don't have any, we never flick on the main lights uh, unless, you know, you're doing some really detailed cooking and knife work in the kitchen, let's say. that's That might be the only reason I would I would switch the big light on now. Um, but you also have the twilight red light bulbs. So if you want a very dim, um, dark experience, but just a little bit of lighting to be able to see, the red light bulbs are great. You have the red light um, plug-in night lights. You have the amazing uh, little blue light blocking um, reading light. It's a book light, so you can still read and you can definitely still see the page. Um, the sleep lamps in both the amber and the red. And then they've brought out some motion night lights. So you can pop these in the corridor around your home, especially if you've got upstairs, downstairs, and, and kids that might come upstairs or downstairs in the middle of the night and you just want to make sure that um, that light's going to come on as they walk past um, but not make them alert and um, stuff up their melatonin, then those are a really great option as well. There's a torch. And um, there's obviously replacement bulbs and things. They are low EMF and certified to block all blue light. So, uh, and also mercury free. A lot of uh, modern light bulbs contain mercury, and obviously we don't want that either. So, uh, my pick are the Sweet Dreams bulbs, at least for your living space, and just enjoy how much more relaxed you feel. And I used to go to bed really late, uh, but since we've had these on, I naturally get quite tired around 10, 10.30 now, which is really early for me. And I know a lot of people sleep even earlier than that, but that has been a huge change for me. And as someone recovering from mold illness and a heightened uh, nervous system response, to have that additional support for relaxation in the evenings has been 
transformational. So I'm a huge fan. They have amazing giveaway over on their Instagram as well. Uh, so you have to head over there, follow block blue light underscore official on the Instagram page, like the pic and tag a couple of friends. It's as easy as that, but you also have 15% off all the products this month with low tox life 15. And you just need to visit blockbluelight.com.au to go check out the products and choose a couple of things. I'm a huge fan of their range. I've worked with Daniel for years. I've bought from Daniel for years. uh, And uh, there are a couple of other gems that I'm going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. So we will announce the winner next Monday so that at least you know if you won or you lost so you can make the most of the discount. So good luck, everybody. And here is the wonderful Maggie Dent. Hello, Maggie Dent. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. Just a little bit croaky voice, but I still want to do our chat. So I hope everyone's okay with that. Oh, I think we can let you off the hook. <laughs> I hope you've got a nice little uh, cup of soup ready for you at lunchtime or a nice tea. Honey and lemon. Honey Lovely. And lemon. Lovely. Um, I'm so excited about this chat. The last time we spoke, I think you're in our top five listened to shows of the what? 250 shows I've done. So mm. that's so nuts. I know it's well, a, done. well it's not nuts because uh, <laughs> you really connect with parents. And uh, I was saying just before we hit record, you know, while things can be really complicated out there, and yes, there can be some new challenges. Maybe we need to uh, workshop and and talk about and pull every which way and sideways. At the end of the day, common sense parenting and caring and teaching. Uh, are, are things that sometimes it almost, it's like humans love to overcomplicate, don't we? <laughs> and, and let's be honest, us mummies, we have a particular kind of way our mind works, that there must be something better than this. And we go hunting for it, where in actual fact, you know, this is what kids have always done. You know, parents have pulled their hair out over this forever. Um, it's not something you necessarily fix as be aware and then tolerate and then survive. <laughs> it's my new motto. <laughs> Be aware, tolerate, and survive. Yeah. Okay. Are you yeah. making T-shirts? <laughs> oh, God. And also every single stage mm. has something that really is difficult for us as parents and, a, and, and something we adore about that stage. Mm. No matter what age it is, and I keep saying focus on the gift, focus on the bit that you can enjoy. And that's the same for those with teenagers. You know, if you want to know something, ask a teenager and I'll give it to you in a very raw, unedited way. Um, but you know what I mean? It's not all bad, each stage. And I think we need to embrace that every stage that pushes our buttons is a chance for us to grow up to be more beautiful and whole human beings, I think. Yeah, I love that. And so instead of focusing on the fact that it's the third drink bottle they've lost in the month, or the fifth time they've turned their nose up to broccoli, get excited about the fact that they're developing an amazing sense of humour. And and, and they've got autonomy that's happening. We have to have autonomy to grow up to be a healthy adult. So I had my grandson here um, in lockdown. He's a very strong but very sensitive little boy, and um, he's got this thing about special things at the moment just makes my heart melt. But, gosh, it's annoying. We go to the beach we're going to bring home all this stuff because he's just fallen in love with of sticks. Of course. And, um, and, and it might be a stick he's only just picked up, but he's decided it's really important and I love it. And I... <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I've been there. <laughs> 
like oh and, 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 and that leaf as well okay yep yeah, yep okay okay fantastic little treasures mm, yeah I know and then you end up with a whole bunch of stuff yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's when you get that that image in um, Bluey when they're going to the dump and you see all the junk on the back seat <laughs> while we identify so beautifully because you know, to have a tidy car if you've got little ones or even teens, man, you just, you just, it's nuts. You've got so many other things. So it's down the bottom of the to-do Yes, yeah, you got to let it go. Every time you get in, you go, oh, I really meant to clean the car out. So I'm going to say that if you do have a loving parent like I am in my grand- in my kids' lives, I, I, when I'm there, I always do a clean out of the car, a thorough right. one. And they uh-huh. go, thank you. <laughs> that's Two amazing so if you're like good. yeah yep. you're, you're the the grandparent in this scenario yep. you're suggesting yep. does totally. this sort of a thing and also okay. if I've thrown out something special they blame nanny nice the mum's off the hook and dad's off the hook if you've got both so can you see and I bet the grandkids would let nanny off the hook yep. even even lighter than they would let their parents yep. Oh my gosh, I love it. There's just so many, so many things you could talk about in the parenting experience. The last time you were on, we talked boys very specifically. Um, and I encourage everybody to go back to that show. It was show number 115. Um, I'd love to ask you in the toddler to five kind of times, is there anything we need to be mindful of that's different in raising boys when raising girls? Yeah, okay. I've noticed some things as a boy mum and I'm just like, what, they told in that level of detail and they didn't lose anything? Like it's totally different from my perspective as a boy mum, but I would love as with your professional expertise to let us know some of the differences. Oh, and because I have four granddaughters and three grandsons, um, oh, my goodness, and I'm doing some research on it at the moment, Alex, because I'm fascinated by how smart how much definitely smarter they are and and where's the neuroscience behind that but they um so the left brain of girls often where linguistics logic language is 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 kind of like zooming along while boys are still stuck over in the let's just run yeah you know let's fart like let's whatever (laughs) and laugh about it laugh about it impulsivity of our boys is linked to this fact that they're taking a bit more time to make some more thinking about their choices. Girls are thinking so much earlier. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples because I'm just, you know, not only do they express themselves um, and, you know, there are some boys who can do this, but what we know is statistically this significant number. So I was at a cuppa at a coffee place, which is set out in a paddock, which is lovely in WA with my two granddaughters. My daughter-in-law came in one car. My son came in another car. Our surrogate grandparent came in another car and I came in a car because we all came from different directions. So the four, she's just over four uh, year old granddaughter and two year old granddaughter. As May says to me, she's four. She says, Nanny, can I come shopping with you after this? And I said, oh, sweetheart, Nanny doesn't have a car seat in this car. Um, Otherwise it would be okay. Not even a minute. She's put her hand on my hand and said, I've got a good idea, Nanny. How about if Daddy drives your car and you drive Daddy's car and then we can go shopping? Four. No boy 
is sharp enough to work that out that quickly. Um, and, and I think that's the place that frustrates us so much and what it frustrates little boys as well is that they find it so hard to be understood. They probably have the thought uh, probably four hours later. Takes a bit more time to come up and then they'll just forget what they're going to say anyway, possibly, the memory stuff. So we were doing quite funny. Four months later, two and a half year olds in the back seat, Miss, Miss Mabel, and mum and I are chatting too much. We were going to the same coffee place because we love it because it's out of town. And um, we were talking too much and we we're supposed to turn off to go the short way. We've gone right around the long way and we're up on the, probably nearly forgot where we were going. And the little one's calling out. And I said, and this is the thing, you've got to listen to little girls. Don't just think it's not important. And I, I said, what's she saying, mummy? And she said, wrong way, mummy. <laughs> So here she is telling us that we've taken the wrong, and I'm just scratching my head. My boys could do that at about four to five if they were the boy that was spatially interested in, in, and one of mine was. He could, you know, he could tell you things that I found, but he couldn't explain it till he was much older. So I think that's the biggest thing is their level of language and their ability to articulate and also their ability um, to explore their big emotional world and why we have to spend a lot of time. We, I say that a lot. We've got to spend a lot of time with little boys, but they're not as interested to make sense of what that, whether that was anger or frustration. Little girls can pick this up from 18 months. I've seen them use emotional manipulation over their parents at 18 months of age. And this is where we get to that thing. We say, oh, girls are way more complicated. Boys are easier. So technically there is some truth to that. So I suppose that's where I'd, and also the physicality of boys and the need to keep moving. You know, there is a, a far more of other boys need that in order to have the neurochemicals to sit still and behave. So I think I never stay very long at some places in public places because 20 minutes was a keep my eye on the watch. <laughs> that was it. That was it. They could go for 20 minutes if I fed them in the car, ran them ragged before they got there. But 20 minutes, everything just seemed to go a bit wobbly um, until they were a couple more years older. Yeah. So I think there's the difference that we juggle sometimes, um, even though I was probably, like I said before, a girl, boy, girl who also needed to move a lot more. And um, I just had the power of words that my my boy <laughs> brothers and things didn't have. Mm. And so it would seem that it's at a biological level that we're both developing very different skills for what down the track we would be required for as animals in the wild. And we tend to catch up about eight. Mm -hmm. So when we weren't pushing the, the education system down and formalised learning, boys could bumble and stumble in through to six and seven um, and without too big of a gap around their learning, but now we've pushed it down further. I think it's causing a bit more of it. I mean, you will see the same. They can start to really, um, girls start to get much more fierce and strong around that age as well. Mm -hmm. So you sort of see that they sort of come together. And then from then on, there's not as much difference, although we do know there's definitely a difference in transitioning out the other end that girls tend to transition into workplaces and tertiary education much more successfully than boys at the same age. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. And so 
so we've we've made it through the toddler years and we're, consi- we're we're starting the school journey and i know you have some some quite strong ideas about when that should be with the is it differentiated between the sexes as well do you think or um do you just think in general it would be better for us to follow say the finnish example of formal learning starting at 6 well, to be honest, I think we all would benefit from um, more peace and, and less pressure on our children. There's no question parents and children would thrive better and we'd still have smart people. There's no question. It's not going to happen. So um, <clears throat> the numbers that we can get, uh, Alex, from the Longitudinal Study of Australian Children and the Australian Early Development Census says gender definitely is a factor in our children's capacity to transition well. So, um, you know, statistically, you can ask early childhood educators, teachers of five and six-year-olds, and they'll tell you, especially the experienced ones, um, it's always been noticeable. So um, I think our challenge is um, what's happened for parents, and, you know, it's not parents' fault, but as kind of, I call it napalm instead of NAPLAN. um, Um, Once that came in, there was this pressure on some schools because how it was supposed to happen was you were supposed to have a few practice sessions in year three before the NAPLAN test and then suddenly there are schools starting at five practicing for NAPLAN to make sure because my school meant you compared all the schools. So that became problematic, which meant there's a message to parents that the most important thing transitioning is can your kid count to a 1,000? Do they know all their letters? Um, And so it was about making them smart. But we know the children who transition well have the social and emotional intelligences that they cope being away from their key caregivers, being able to manage, you know, lots of different distractions, being able to listen, um, being able to open their lunchbox, you name it. So we kind of, whereas in the past it was a holistic look at our whole child, I think it's got a bit distorted towards will they be smart enough to go to school rather than are they socially and emotionally ready. So interesting, isn't it? Because as you were talking then, weird, seems unrelated, but I don't think it is. The first place my mind went was how we used to think of uh, societal success holistically um, and it was quite a complicated web and system and then GDP theory comes in and now everything is geared towards financial success, performance, growth and everything else, well, stuff it because well, the shareholders that, won't be happy. Alex, that's fantastic because that's where I have the biggest problem with most governments in the Western world is they see children little children as economic indicators later in life. And that, you know, you even hear that about why we need more high quality early childhood education. We actually need it because we want children who need to be in those spaces to be looked after by the most compassionate, loving human beings who are well-informed about early childhood development. Not because that means more women can go back to work and improve the economy. Now, it doesn't matter which parent has a passion for their, you know, their corporate life or their work. What we want is to make sure we're creating an environment that allows parents to be able to not lose their space in the corporate, in the big world, and work a little bit while their kids are young. So the child has that beautiful space of, 
you know, the best of both worlds. But when I keep hearing them talk about this will improve the GDP by this many million, if we have this many, I just want to cry because, because it's not factoring in our children. And, and the, the social that, emotional. Yeah. And the fact that a little bit slower and less hurried in the early years definitely impacts them. And I worry that we create more unintended ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences, because everyone thinks we just have to con- put them on a conveyor belt and they'll pop out the other end. You know, life is really complex and different. And I, you know, I'm, I am concerned about the um, long-term effects of, you know, this pandemic on all of us and our children. There's been some positives, and you and I chatted about that before, that many parents have now made a conscious shift going, whatever we were doing was unsustainable. I kind of like hanging out with my kids. Um, and I'm not doing as much anymore. Whereas others, all they're worried about is their child catching up because of the other end. Will they get to be the brain surgeon I thought they would if they've had this delay in their learning? And I'm going to tell you that some of the most switched on amazing people who are happy are ones who um, work in horticulture, who, um, you know, who want to go out on boats and catch fish. Like we look at it in terms of how much, as you just said, how much can you earn must equate your happiness. And unfortunately, it's around when you're 40 to 45, you suddenly realise that is this all there is? Endless hard work um, that I'm not feeling happy from within. So again, I think you're absolutely right that we see life and living as something to do with, you know, economies and our worth because of how much money we have in the bank or how big our house is. And that's why there's such a big challenge at the moment right across Australia with our housing prices going crazy again. And one of my beautiful sons is in Sydney and they were all ready to get go and ready. They got their deposit and they were all they had all their bank approval. And like in a six-week window, everything leapt half a million. Um, and I had to have a chat in a way about, so can you now reframe? They live in um, renting a house that's, you know, quite expensive, $1,000 a week is really expensive, but it has a front yard and a backyard. It's a family home. It's not perfect. It's close to a fabulous school right near the bush, not far from the beach. And I went, pretend it's yours, right? Because if you had that mindset that I've now missed out on something that might make me happier, it might not have. Yeah. Because the debt you may have had to take on created pressure in your relationship and the way you work so I think we we're an opportunity to have really big conversations if you're co-parenting with someone around our internal happiness and what is it that I'm I'm putting those big values on because I want my children to grow up to be whoever they are and I'm you know you know the number one of the number one things that comes up on the Mission Australia um, survey of young people every year is the pressure to do well at school above who they are mm, oh. and it should be the individual above the system as last week's show the lovely Rod Soper talked about yeah, exactly yeah. and also um we don't want the mentally unwell mm. I think you know it's slowing down this bit and I think slowing down the bit at the other end because I have worked with um a number of uh, young people who chose the wrong course under the pressure of their parents and what happened was they made the decision before they were mature enough to know who they really were. And there's a difference between what you want to do for a hobby 
and what you want to do for work. And working that out, you need a prefrontal lobe. Well, that doesn't finish until the mid-20s, if you're lucky, for boys and a bit younger for girls. It explains why so many of us, I, I just completely jumped ship on my first career. I thought I was there. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, crap, this sucks. And, and uh, just got the heck out of there. Look yeah. at me. I started off, um, I was going to uni to do journalism. Um, fortunately, I had a life-changing moment. that meant I went teaching. And then when I got to, you know, having done it for 15 years, I got really restless. And I felt there was something else I was supposed to be doing. You would have felt the same restlessness. Yes. Um, I, literally, for me, I describe it almost as it felt like I was starting to become allergic to the environment yes, I was in. Exactly. Yeah. I had to bust and, out of it. And if you ignore those urges from the whole person within us, our higher self, and go, no, no, this is what, you know, this is, this is who I am. And you, I mean, you give up. I gave up incredible certainty to dive into my, um, you know, opening my first, um, you know, counselling training and education centre. The fact I was fully booked within a month because I, I'm really good with troubled kids and teens was great, but I, I definitely took a big salary hit. But my sense of this, this is what I'm meant to be doing, gave me so much more joy that I was actually mentally and emotionally happy, even financially, not quite so, quite so yeah. comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'll take the the feeling good from within over um, financial stability. But can you see time. how that's so difficult for parents because we put these external things out there that says, you know, you've got to, you know, go the hard course at uni. What we're finding now is there are many pathways to university and, and when they've worked out what it is that floats their boat, the motivation kicks in, which means they often do way better and it's easier for them but thinking that the sooner I get them educated the better that's another one of the myths that the world has pervaded around economically you know the very fact we used to let them loose overseas um, was like my goodness the character growth and development 100 um, percent, absolutely but also finding others to learn from outside of their tribe Mm. I think it's really important for our children to leave their tribe. And outside of institutions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I have big conversations. One of mine had two gap years. The first one was so successful. <laughs> <laughs> and can you, can you be honest, Maggie? Did that make you a little bit nervous at some oh, point? Look, the first one, I was thrilled because he went off and did um, Whistler in Canada, which um, he loved to snowboard and surf. So and it's full of Aussies anyway. It's yes, like, exactly. like it's just relocated. So I felt really good about that. But then a bunch of his friends decided to go on one of those boy trips from the top of Canada right the way down. They kind of drove right down to Mexico. Oh, wow. Three boys in a – that's what I worried. Um, but when I talk to them now, it was this great sense of going on an adventure, which, of course, is a rite of passage. It's what you did if you were in a traditional kinship community. You, you needed to go on an adventure to see if you were, you know, could you kill the tiger and the lion? Thank God it wasn't that, but it scared me just about as much, which makes you step into cross the line to adulthood. And that's the line I think we can sometimes get mixed up with, thinking that just because I can tell them what they should be doing or whatever, that step over there 
you know, it is many steps. It's not just leaving school. It's, um, you know, stepping up to realise that I need to turn up to work on time if I'm paid or every now and then I'm going to have to up my ante at work to help out because someone's sick or these values that get instilled often are learnt outside of the institutions, just like mm, you said. On the job of life. On the job yeah. of life because it's about survival. And I remember, so my number two son, who often used to get lost in Albany where we grew up. Sorry. Yeah, we'll stop there. <laughs> I don't even know how that was allowed to go through. How bizarre. <laughs> Put on airplane mode just in case. Okay. Um, so my second oldest um, was heading off to Europe on a Kentucky tour, which is a rite of passage of many Australians. But he was my sensitive boy, not my go-getter rooster, uh, who would get lost in our hometown in country Albany, WA. So you can imagine how worried I was. Anyway, um, within four or five days, it was before they had smartphones, so I couldn't even call him. I get an email. 10 days in, and he lets me know that he lost his bank card on the first time he ever used it in Germany. Oh, gosh. Right? Yeah. And he couldn't. And anyway, what was great was the problem solving of the ones on the Kentucky tour. Bunch of young people worked out, you know, they could give him a bit of extra money till we could send some more money because we're on the same tour for, you know, 21 days. And I thought, see, you've got to so step good. up sometimes and help our kids. And I'm going to say it's not just that age. I want you to start really early, even back in the toddler ages. How do you problem solve those things? Because, you know, with my two grandies we had over this week, one's six and a half a girl and one's nearly five, um, there were times that, I, you know, the temptation was to go in and tell them what to do. I, every parent and grandparent will have it. Fortunately, I've got wiser over the years and I'd go in and say, you look like you've got a problem here. What, what seems to be the problem? And how can we fix this one? You know, when they look sometimes at you like, isn't that your job? But then there's this pause, isn't there? And I think that is our challenge is, yes, to be a fabulous parent who loves and cares for their children is sometimes not to fix everything, is to give them that capacity to learn how to adapt to that failure, which is why I still get a bit cross when, they get certificates and stickers for coming, you know, wherever um, and getting a trophy when they get, you know, first and best in soccer at five. <laughs> I have a problem with that. Yeah. Because you know what? You should just feel good because you on the day were picked the person who, you know, had the best effort and did so. And the others just, okay, yeah, that's cool. But when you hand over something, right, you're saying like you need to be rewarded physically? No. Nothing like a fist, a high pump, high five, awesome, move on. Um, and I think what, what we've done is to develop, and that's that resilience stuff again, is that, um, you know, we swoop in with love sometimes too quickly and that we need to hold our knuckles <laughs> a little tight sometimes, even though we want to pull them off the top of that climbing frame that we're going to allow them to make a choice because very rarely, and the statistics are quite strong on this, Alex, children who, can, um, who believe they can climb things usually can. Wow. In a warning yeah. system, but you don't plonk them on something because that's you 
overriding their own instincts. They need to kind of do it gently. And you will see sometimes their leg goes like that. Ah, yes. So it's the difference is, yes, the difference is you deciding they're ready to climb something versus them deciding they're ready to climb something. I love that. I remember so clearly that I felt my son was ready to go up the little ladder and then slide down the tiny little pirate ship pole at the toddler park. And I was so sure he was ready. And then I was on the phone to a girlfriend who happened to have three boys, much older, and she said, have you ever thought that, like, he'll actually just do it when he's ready? (laughs) I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Doing, doing. (laughs) I felt so silly. No, no, that's exactly how mm. we want the best. So we think that if we help them stretch, and in actual fact there's a quote from some very um, famous person might be Peter Gray but he said that what children do is they take themselves to the edge of their own fear in natural play particularly when they're playing with other children or particularly older children so they'll watch an older child and then they'll just check it but if they're not quite ready and nobody's interfering they still won't take that leap but when they come back next time they stretch a little bit more See, Mother Nature's already got them wired to be a little bit braver, but it's when we muck it up going, you need to get down from there, that's too high, (laughs) or you need to have a go because it's time. Either way, way. we confuse the innate wisdom. And that's literally dulling their own inbuilt judgment system. They're absolutely wired uniquely. And, I mean, my feisty little uh, oldest granddaughter, she's the one that threw herself out of a cot at 14 months of age with a sleeping bag on it. Oh, God. <laughs> Upper body strength, amazing. And I was up in our town and we have a long, you know, big spiderweb one and we were up there and she's 18 months of age and she's right near the top and I heard people saying, somebody needs to get that little girl down. She's too young. <gasps> and I said <laughs> in a loving voice, you did just back off. She's right. She's got this. Yeah. And even then, you know, at her fourth birthday party, it was at a play place and it was a long monkey bar. She spent most of the birthday party determining she was going to conquer it. Like instead of the party and the lollies and the cake and the goodness, in her head she had decided there was a new level of, and, and no, not one of us gave her any encouragement. And I need to reassure parents that there's this, if we've actually kind of interfered with that, it's, it needs lots of play with a bunch of other children to restore it again, but you can restore it. Oh, I'm making notes, Maggie. Just and I, I, I've, I feel like I've got this now, but I, I just really want to make sure we cement some of those key messages in the show notes because that is such And also gold. that bravery, that word of bravery, it's okay. You know, the, you know and I think I have it in one of my... Um, one of my blogs about um, asking themselves the three questions if they feel those butterfly moments, like when they're feeling really anxious. We know they're supposed to be triggering their amygdala because that's how we survive. But every now and then if they're really frightened about, um, you know, going down that slide um, the first few times or the big slide that you've (laughs) thought they were ready. (laughs) That you graduate to. Yeah. Yeah. You ask them. They ask one of three, they ask these three questions. Are you with an unsafe person? Are you in an unsafe place? Or are you about to do an unsafe thing? So if it's that unsafe thing, it's okay this time. 
that's okay. But down the track, we need to remind our kids you gradually grow in bravery, right? So next time, but always trust yourself because if those things are happening, so therefore the child who gets that massive anxiety attack before they get, you know, getting ready to go to school, it's none of those things are happening. So therefore it's an irrational anxiety. And that's where we have to help them identify those things, you know, in that, in that journey, just, we all get anxious at different things um, and we need to normalise that too. Please, any mum out there or any dad who has moments of anxiety before a big presentation or a, a deadline, tell your kids, normalise it. Don't go, I've got this. No, every now and then they need to hear grown-ups have moments where we feel a bit butterfly and, you know, and, that, and owning it. You know, I used to get really, you know, butterfly before my oldest boy's state swim meets and things you know because you know I've been getting out of bed at 5 30 in the morning for months. <laughs> please tell me this is going to amount to something yes. yeah. and if, it, if he's going to get beaten I know we're going to have an unpleasant um moment or two as he expresses his disappointment <laughs> as a tennis mum I am oh, right there with you yeah. you're right there and yet every time he does it he gets better at managing losing and it was interesting because he actually, um, he just got pipped out from uh, 100 metres backstroke at a state um, championship. And he was, I could see him wanting to explode, but he was in public. And he sat down, you know, next to me. And it was about an hour before his next race. And I said, um, it sucks, doesn't it? I just said, it sucks. And he went, yeah. And I know as a boy, I know, do not talk to me about that. Just you validated how I feel. And that's it. Shut up, mum. Um, and I said, well, you know what you can do now? You can do one of two things, babe. You can sit here feeling really cross and angry about how much it sucked. Or in your mind, you can start visualising winning the next race. So you put your mind into another place. And I've done that with them all. I always think I'm a bit weird saying, have you visualised it yet? <laughs> anyway, um, he probably said the same thing and he said, I've got a weird mother. Um, anyway, he just picked out the same boy who beat him in the in the backstroke for the um, gold medal in that. And, um, you know, the look on his face and all those juicy, joyful bits happened. But if he'd been stuck in negativity, your body doesn't respond in the same way when you get to compete. So It literally thinks it's a loser. It's, it's a loser. And it goes to prove it's a loser. So I, I actually think we can have these conversations with children anywhere from five. Because that's what's happening in our mind, you know, that we can really influence. And it's the same with how do they react around a friendship drama? You know, like, you know, we've all not been invited to something we thought we were supposed to be invited to, whether it's a wedding at 21st or a, a dinner, right? As grown-ups, it sucks and feels yuck. But what we do next, isn't it? And that's it with children. They come home with sometimes, and friendship dramas, we need to know that your capacity to manage friendships um, is to do with your emotional and your social intelligence, which goes back to what we talked about, you know, maturing. It gets, you know, it grows over time. However, um, our ability to manage those moments and know what to do next is something that, yes, they can benefit from our help, you know, and that I really believe if you've got a child who's, feeling left out and saying no one wants to play with me 
um, I've done an audio called I'm a Good Friend, but you can do it yourself. We have to practice their welcoming strategies. We have to put their body into a positive state. We have to put a smile on their face and say, hi, hello. So we need to practice it so they don't walk in like this because this isn't something you want to play with. And if you're going like that because you've been rejected all week, it's totally understandable. So again, welcoming strategies are such an important thing. And then in amongst it, we need to talk to children about sometimes your friends don't let you go first because you and you want to. But that's not them being a bad friend. It's really hard for everyone to go first. So we need to decode, right? And that hopefully your friend will let you go first another day. So we give them hope underneath it. And then, you know, talk to them about the tendency for some of us to be bossy. Mm. You know, there is, is you know, That's temperament. one that comes up a lot. Yeah, the uh, temperament. My son's son even six. And so there's the handball at lunchtime or the basketball at lunchtime and there's a cheater in the mix. Oh, Everyone is so upset that he wants to play every day. Yeah. And, and, and so yeah. that's one when we had that conversation. So one of the reasons that people cheat is the fact that they're really, really terrified of losing. Like it's an avoidance strategy. It's the same as um, procrastination is an avoidance strategy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it'd be lovely if you can all explain that at some times. We just have to get better at losing, don't we, in that moment? And I, and I think um, bossiness, gosh, I think the underneath layer we have to talk to kids in friendship is do you think they are meaning to be too bossy are they meaning to walk all over you and your boundaries aren't respected and you obviously do that with age appropriate language um or do you think they don't know how to share more because this is um, a behavior that's like becomes a habit so do we put our hand up sometimes and say do you can somebody else go first or can somebody else choose and just pop the suggestion in sometimes um but really it's and it's so funny because on that audio I'm a good friend um, I got a, a message back from a mum who um, has a foster child who, because she's had such a traumatic background, being bossy and dominating is a way to, you know, gain some sort of control in her life. And so she got her to listen to it. Anyway, she got up halfway and she heard the bossy bit and said, that's rubbish. I'm not listening to that. <laughs> anyway, apparently she heard her listening to it one more time and she thought, oh, that's interesting. And only two days later, this is how fast we can change things with children under eight because the imagination is real. She came running out from school and said, I've got best friends. I've got best friends. I've never had best friends. And she said, nothing to do with that silly thing we listen to. <laughs> Just so you know. Just so you know. <laughs> and she said, I can't tell you that the joy now when she comes out from school for a little girl who's had a terrible few years in her life um, and it was just let's imagine I can be the good friend I want to be because you can talk but the imagination is the thing that can sometimes rewire it and it doesn't matter what it is. You know, let me pretend that, um, you know, I can come last and be happy. My dad identified with me when I was eight, <laughs> Alex, that I didn't run fast, which is really clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do lots of other things, but I don't run fast. And he said to me, if it feels a bit yucky, love, why don't you just wave at the crowd? So from then on, in any running race, I was there and I was running, you know, waving in it. And sometimes it even fell over. 
with enthusiasm at my waving. But I also noticed if someone else was coming last, we'd hook arms. And, and I thought, what a great strategy. But there was one other strategy my dad said at the same time. He said, he said that um, what's more important in life, my girl, is you have a go. And I think that's why I'm here where I am today is because I just don't give up. And I always have a go. And I think it's that attitude we want in our children. Even if you've got no chance of winning, I want you to turn up and be the kid that has a go. Yeah, because, you know, and I, I, you don't have to be the smartest or the fastest or the best voice. It's not about the results. It's about no, and it goes but... kind of back to what we said before. It's not your GDP that matters. It's about us having a go at life, having a go at things that look a little bit tricky or I'm going to have a go even if I risk failing. Because I also risk winning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? But I'm going to risk both. And I think that, you know, I did have a lovely wise dad. Um, and that I think that fabulous. one of those things, again, not many life lessons. Um, he was also the one with the sense of humour, which I'm really blessed with because I can't do anything without it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be able to have a good laugh. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you about uh, individuality in within institution because... Uh, especially you mentioned our Aussie standardised testing before, the NAPALM slash NAPLAN. Um, how do, what are some of the best things we can do to honour the individuality of the child as they grow when systems can often pressure them to conform? Like what, what does it look like on a day-to-day? Mm. All right, so you've kind of already um, answered it as a parent and that's fact, the fact that I've identified Mm, that, okay. no, that every single child is a one-off, unique miracle. So no parenting book's been written about anybody's child. <laughs> Absolutely none. Right? So true. It is. And mm. <clears throat> I keep saying that to parents at times, you know, you can look at my stuff, but I'm trying to suggest you other ways of seeing your child. And how often do we not get the child we were hoping for? <laughs> I was so blessed for my third oopsie. Um, because not only was Oopsie the problem, but um, he turned up with, um, yeah, I thought I'd already had a rooster, so I thought I could handle it, but this one was completely his own person. And he gave me so many beautiful life lessons about um, he was chasing these two older brothers, you know, and he was feisty and he was strong and he asked a million questions and he exhausted me. But every now and then he came out with truth. Like one day he came up to me at eight, crossed his arms and said, Mummy, you say that I'm a pain in the neck a lot lately and I think it's going to damage my self-esteem. Wow. And I went, oh, it isn't good, is it? I'm definitely going to take on board that. And I, I had to change my language. He was definitely one, but I had to focus on what things did. And I, and I kept saying, you've got such an inquisitive mind. You know, you ask really interesting questions. I really enjoy having conversations with you. And I noticed his behaviour also changed. So what we do is we identify those unique strengths. And I'd argue every child, regardless of whether we think there's a deficit label on them, are they neurodivergent, you know, were they born... um, Or cheeky or naughty or or shy or... You can substitute every one of those words for something more positive. And I'm going to say they've come with exactly what they need to become who they are. 
And that, you know, for, you know, as we get older, sometimes we look back at our core childhood wound. And if you can transform that into something positive, um, you know, you're probably, that's exactly what we've all come here to do. It's a very deep conversation, Alex, but I am going to say there's a, there's a knowing within us. And if we can tap into that early, and this is why I love it when I suggest to parents to watch your children under five and find where is that moment when they disappear into what I call a natural transcendent state where everything else falls away? Because that's a clue. Whether it's when they're building their Lego or their Duplo, it's when they're pouring water endlessly with containers, it's when they're watching at the beach or it's watching up at clouds. Watch, because I believe that's where the clue is. And that is something what I call the spark. If you can activate that spark and for some it is a competitive spark you know my oldest that was all of those things as a champion swimmer um you know he he's in a very competitive area in professionally and you can't do that unless you really are competitive and his standard of work is just so high I often think he pushes himself too hard but I'm his mum um but he can't do that work without having that that part of his temperament so those sensitive ones my two sensitive ones uh, one's a radiographer and the other is now um, beginning his emergency medicine training but he was actually a, a, um, a physiotherapist first and he's the one that had the two-year gap year mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I thought he'd never go to study um, and they both were sensitive and very aware of the environment and other animals and you know, they had the tender kind of thing. The others are a bit more about winning, money, and they are working in that area. Doesn't mean to say they're not fabulous daddies. So when we look at our children, we've got to identify their unique strengths and recognise that we can nurture that area while we, we don't have to fix the bits they haven't got, which is what I think we keep seeing. We've got to fix this overconfident child to make them more, you know, um, no, we don't. <laughs> obedient. And I'm going, no, no, maybe what we need to do is make sure they feel they have a voice when we problem solve. So the difference in those, you know, temperaments was my, that sensitive one I talked about that's a radiographer that nearly got lost in Europe and everything. <laughs> um, in year nine, he's saying to me, mum, you pick my options. I don't really care. You pick my subjects. I'm going, no. You've got to pick them. Now, I don't want to go on the school camp, right? So there we do a little nudge with love without diminishing the fact that he's just not driven. The others have been wanting to make those choices since they got out of a nappy. Mm, packing their school camp bag yeah. the weekend before, yeah. Totally, all sorted. And I think we've got to look at it again. We've got to remove the deficit lens that we put on children. This is what's mm. wrong with them. I need to fix that. No, and it's called solution, solution, solution focused kind of thinking. I love it because I worked with that with people when I was counselling. Instead of looking at everything that's wrong with you, I looked at the few things that was working, how we could build those. And I do encourage that with and having conversations with your children saying, do you know you're naturally really good um, at organising things? even if it does my head in. Um, are you noticed that you're quite good at um, making arguments around fairness? So justice must be something I want you to think about as you move forward in life, you know? Um, they don't have to be big things. So the, the key is to 
dive in instead of wanting to fix those bits that you thought they should be because, oh, was it frustrating having a sensitive lamb that didn't want to make choices? It was really frustrating because I'm a rooster. Yeah. Right? The roosters find lambs really tricky. Or roosters and roosters, we find each other, don't we, because we both kind of, that's when we can have power struggles with our children. So, again, every now and then within ourselves, I think we still have to look at that. You know, I had to identify that, you know, some of the things that um, held me back um, were, weren't true anyway. They were a story I told myself from my childhood. And we all have to work on those as well to be the parent we want to be in terms of being conscious. And, and, and that's why I love having these chats to you, Alex, because being conscious doesn't make us perfect. No. It doesn't mean to say we sleep more than people who are asleep, <laughs> you know, who, who don't care. It just means that we, we're really aware that there may be something under it. But right now I let it be. Yes. And I'll see what happens with let it be rather than, gosh, I've got to fix it immediately. And I say that around everything. And like in the new parentals, anything book, when I'm talking about things like fussy eating, you know, no, it's really normal for kids to get really fussy. Part of it's autonomy. Um, part of it's like texture's different. Part of it is just they just don't like sitting down to eat when they're young. Like, and we want them to have this glorious round the table, beautiful meal where they share what they've done. No, it doesn't always work like that. I always tell parents, don't panic. Nigella Lawson was a fussy eater. So it will, it'll all work out in the end. And yeah. the same with things like, you know, sleeping. When there's so many parents saying, how do I get them in their own bed to sleep? And I said, is that a problem? My, my advice all the time is prioritise as much sleep for everyone as possible. First children, though, and second adults, because... Tired children are harder work. Oh, goodness. And if yes. it means you're all in a giant bed and it works, just do it. You know, the, I think we have to let go of the notion of the marital bed <laughs> quite some time. <laughs> and I'll just leave it right there. Yep. yep. <laughs> Let's leave that one there. Um, so, something that kind of speaks to what you were just talking about with the individualization and, and really focusing on those individual gifts. The report card comes in the mail and um, I remember being wheeled into the principal's office in year 12. You would be so great if or, you know, you're, everything's looking really good but and still more and still trying to correct deficiencies instead of focus on what's going well and how to build that. So how do we partner with educators that use that language in a useful way because at the end of the day whether we like it or not we do have to be on our um on the team with the teacher and vice versa they have to have us on their team some of them might not like us um so how do we strengthen that relationship as our child grows yeah well the first one is your relationship with your teacher in primary school is very different <laughs> than when you go to middle school and school because really it's very difficult for that parental contact. Let's go into the primary school window. Um, the really first thing I want to say is that there are exceptional teachers, there are average teachers, and there are some that aren't very good, just like in life. So if your child gets the not very good one, they've got to be really careful that your language around that doesn't mean that you smear every teacher for the rest of everything, you know what I mean? So our language around it is 
is really important. You have to work really closely with that particular um, teacher more than the one that's quite competent and exceptional one. You almost don't have to do very much at all. Um, yes, it's their job to let you know that um, your child's not meeting kind of what this age group target is and et cetera. It is their job. Our job as um, educators is to take your children from here and get them to here at the end of the year. Um, and I absolutely hand on my heart say that at the moment, testing has become insane. You know, the accountability is just ridiculous. And it's oh, the pressure on teachers best. is insane as well. In, absolutely insane. Far too much. And it's not actually improving educational outcomes. So keep that one in mind as well. Um, I think let's go to the report one, Alex, because it's how you um, work with your child's report. Um, so the child who's never had a good report card, um, you know, they kind of have this, you know, that resigned, you know, if it gets home. Nowadays, of course, they can, you know, send them digitally so it does get home, which is a bit tricky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it got lost. We didn't get any this year. <laughs> it got burnt. <laughs> um, before you sit down with your child to have a look at their report, just once again, absolutely eyeball your child and say, this is what I did to most of my students. I used to say, there's nothing in this report card that will stop me loving you exactly as I love you right now. Oh, I love that. There's nothing. There is no grade. There is no mark that will ever change how I love you. And really let them hear that. Oh, so that's put a bit of a lump in my throat. Oh. <laughs> I think we all just, that just needs to be standard. Yeah. That's what we're all saying from Seriously. now on. Mm. Because that would change everything. So what this report is showing is how well you have performed on certain pieces of work in that school system this, this term or this semester. That is all this is. And it will show us some areas that um, the teacher believes that you could possibly be doing better or areas that we may need to help you get, get more mastery, okay? So, um, and then just go through, just before that, you know, what I probably would have done before that is have a chat to your child before the report card comes home and ask them what they think it will be telling them. Because usually they've got a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah. And also that's the primary. When you get to secondary, we do know there's massive disengagement, mainly from our boys, because seriously, it's just not floating their boat. Um, much prefer to be gaming or whatevering, whatever it is they want to do. So we know that there is this window where boys particularly think they've got it covered and they're just coasting. Why would I want to do more? I just want to get that basic level covered. So the report card is really important in that context because sometimes it shows whether they've got it covered or they've misjudged it. Yeah, okay. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> they actually need to know they've failed it because then they're going to make a step to how I can improve that. And so in From Boys to Men, I have a plan that helps you, you know, create that motivation because you can't just say to a, a particular boy, um, you need to lift your grades. What does that mean? Yes, exactly. Right. What does that You've got to actually be like very specific, day. targeted steps. So again, it's really normal for girls and boys to be disengaged in years uh, seven, eight, nine, and possibly half a 10. All the stuff going down with adolescents is it's the last thing on my plate that I'm worrying about. And I think your big key thing is, is letting them know it's a difficult window, um, that trying to do everything you can to get regular habits in place, no question. Um, but really the homework stuff, a really key message there is I want you to tell the teacher at the beginning of the year, homework is between you and my son or my daughter. 
I am never going to do their homework. I will remind them, but I'm not going to turn into the nagging parent because I think it's about the motivation has to come from, oh, my God, I haven't done it. I'll get busted at school. Right? So we need to step back. This is really hard. And they need to feel the discomfort. They have to feel the discomfort of not doing what's required because we have to actually do homework in high school because we can't cover the curriculum. You can't give them enough time to consolidate learning in that space. So really, really important for that to happen. And it's really hard. I can just feel the mummies cringing going, oh, no, you never do anything. No, letting fail. Let the teacher in the school, because then you'll go to the year coordinator and he may need to do some detention to fill up. You know, but Don't worry, natural consequences there will actually motivate. Um, get to your teacher conferences, please. Um, but the other one is, um, and go with a grain of salt, you know. Seriously, nothing worse than knowing you've got the parent coming that with the child who's failed your subject. <laughs> Seriously, it's hard work. And I've worked with those beautiful kids, you know, and they're just not interested or they don't care or some have really significant literacy delays, which is almost impossible. What I always wanted, and I think lots of parents do, is how are they you know, are they enjoying being at school? So it's, the again, social, emotional stuff. You want them to be able to still want to go even if they're not doing super well in those windows. Um, you know, we want them to kind of go because they're going to catch up with their friends. Or, um, But every now and then, ask the teacher for about the strengths because they're all focused on the negatives and say, is there a strength that you see in my child that I need to know about? Because, oh, my goodness, the number of times I would do that with that child that failed and saying, did you know your child is amazing at, at helping other, other students when they get really um, upset or when they can't do things? Oh, my gosh, you should see him or her. I need you to keep that in mind because later on that's going to be one of those things when you, he chooses a career pathway. The ability to de-escalate a, a crabby, that's not easy to do. So, in other words, it doesn't appear on the report card. Um, I want you to mention the thing that says something about um, how patient they are when everything gets a bit rowdy in the classroom. Name some things. That's really, really important. And then the last big tip is please send an email, but not, not necessarily expect a, res- a return at 10 o'clock at night. But something's changed in your family setting that's impacting, could be impacting your student. We need to know. Mm, I did this just last term. Yeah. Because I had a, um, I had a, a we had a group talk about death and loss and one little girl just said, well, her daddy is home at the moment dying from cancer. And I, oh. everyone in the class is hard. Look, the kids only cried. Year nine, so 14 year old, usually awful. Um, within, you know, within the next, you know, lesson, they were all doing a big card. They were all doing, I went to the office and said, does anybody know about this? This is really important. I'm teaching these kids. This child's in a traumatic situation. So tell me yours, Alex. What did you let them know about? Yeah, so um, my son and I are really badly affected by mould. And uh, so we've moved uh, quite a bit the last couple of years, just trying to find um, a place where we can heal and feel well. And one of our in-between places was a little Airbnb where Seb and I just felt amazing. And it defied everything. It was built in 1912, um, you know, but quite dark, but just really well built and on solid rock, I guess. And we felt amazing. And then we moved when we finally found a place that we thought was perfect. 
and it wasn't. So the time we were in the Airbnb was term one and the teacher received this happy, enthusiastic, super sharp little guy that wanted to talk about different succulents because he knew the teacher was into it and all that kind of stuff and um, was participating all the time and his handwriting was improving really well. And then we moved and, of course, because of the brain inflammation aspects of mould for the people who are affected, the handwriting went down the toilet his ability to um, self-regulate became less so. Um, and I saw it because I'm the mama bear who just notices all that stuff. And I knew it in myself because I was really badly affected. And so after a couple of months and when we decided to move, which thank God Airbnb has gone down the toilet because of COVID, they've actually put it on the market. So we're just about to move back there. Um, which is amazing. We can't wait. So oh my gosh! How the good size is. of a shoebox, but we feel fantastic there. Yes. And we just couldn't give a shit. Yes. So, um, oh so wow! I emailed teacher when we were in the thick of it, and she said, "I am so glad you emailed because I was wondering where my little guy went. You know, it was just a different boy in term two, and um, and this." explains everything and I know I can just look out for him a little bit more and hold him back and just explain things again if he hasn't quite got it in the lesson because he's usually sharp as a tack when we're in a mold-free place so that isn't that so amazing yeah yeah and not only about the mold but also um, there are things that impact our kids capacity to concentrate in class Um, and um, sometimes it's a sibling that's sick uh, you know or somebody's had an accident or something or there's a death once we know, then we can hold that space for them much better. So, but please not 10 emails a day and do not expect a response um, too quickly because sometimes that, that isn't helpful. And, and then what happens? You create um, an attitude and a relationship which isn't, isn't good, you know, for either of you. And it's fostering this weird micromanagement kind of vibe that's yes, just Which not is useful. letting go that we need in those middle school to upper school. So I have one more question around what it feels like we've started talking about middle school. So let's just hold it there for the finale. And that is around bribe and reward and discipline. And I feel like, you know, we get really good at learning the language of not bribing. Okay, if you eat all your broccoli, you can have a cupcake and all that kind of stuff. And that's something, you know, I've been helping parents with for years. But when it comes to the more complex stuff like time with your friends or time on the phone or technology, um, because it's a first again, it, it, we're not thinking, oh, gosh, I've got to bring back all that good language that I learned when I was teaching about the food for this scenario. What is some good language so that we don't fall into the trap of if you get all your homework done, you can have an hour on the screens? Um, and is it actually a big deal in the first place? Like I, I just think it would be good to talk about that age group. Perfect. I think you need to keep in mind Goldilocks. Uh-huh. Right, because if that's all you're doing, right, all you're doing is the bribe, then you're not developing the capacity for the inner locus of control where they do it because it's the right thing. Got it. Yeah. Got it. And so we need to be consistent, but there are times um, that a little I call it manipulation with great love. Mm. <laughs> which we set we set the bribe up. You know, there are times yeah. whether it's our patience level is not going to make it. Um, I just need it done. Just forgive yourself and let it go. But it is when there's too much, we know that's problematic. Um, when there's none, because I'm going to control you. Mm. 
because it's, you know, I'm going to be the my way or the highway. That's not conducive. But underneath it, the bottom line is the relationship. Keeping that loving relationship, um, which is that beautiful blend as I go firm, firm, sometimes seen as mean, but firm. Yeah. Fair. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Fun. Yep. And consistency, you know, like around it. So that's the that's a challenge. And there are times that like on the weekend with the um, two gorgeous grandies, mum and dad, of course, here, they'd got into this really power struggle space that was just going on and, and, and mum had gone in and had a chat and it wasn't working. Uh, nanny walked in and said, can I have a pinky deal? Pinky deal. Pinky deal means we're going to start, take a big breath. We're going to put a happy face on. We're going to go outside and going to play better and let all this stop that nanny has something she's going to give you. Yep. And it was very tiny, very tiny treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it <clears throat> stopped it. It had been going on 20 minutes, like just everyone was over it. Yeah. But they're both now in a power struggle they don't want to back away from, right? Mm. So I went in and that was a pinky. You got a pinky, my finger. It's got to be a deal. Boom, done, sorted. I hardly ever, ever do that. Mm-hmm. I'll go so it's okay it. to pull it out when Absolutely. you just need a new factor that changes the conversation. Totally. Got because it. Because nine times out of ten, you know, we're cultivating our children to be able to recognise this is the rules and expectations and values of our house. Um, this is what happens when it doesn't work, you know. So this is the reason we do it. You do all the things you do. And sometimes, you know, it is that moment where it this is going to stop now. It's my firm. That's my firm. It stops now, right now. Firm face, not friendly, done. And then we move on. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really very, it's, it's, the, it's the gorgeous dance of parenting, isn't it? It is. That, and we've got to make sure we explore the reason why. Is that time frame one that suits me? Children aren't good with time. Teenagers are hopeless with time, you know. And I think that one around the screen world is definitely is, is the challenge. And I know Dr. Christie um, in the book talks very much about Try not to use it as reward or whatever, but every now and then um, it, it can be helpful. But if that's all you're using it for, then you're setting up a really big dangly carrot that's going to be really hard to chop down later. Mm. So, again, it's those we negotiate those things. So if all the chores are done and this is done and, we've, you know, we've been a really good week, your normal time that you can have will be maintained. Yeah, Ah, got it. Yes, rather than an additional. Yeah, yes, love that. We've agreed this is your normal time. Um, you can lose some of that time, but I wouldn't give you a special time. So the reward is to maintain status quo. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, um, and if you don't meet the obligations of the day, the status quo actually gets removed. And I think there's one other thing in amongst that. When we set up something, and this is that, you know, the role of discipline is teaching and guiding, not punishing. Um, if you do give an, a consequence that, that seems quite firm, and for rooster children, you sometimes have to do that. Um, one of mine was you're not having a dessert for two weeks because he'd consistently broken a rule that I was very clear about and warned him about. He still thinks it's one of the most painful experiences of his life. <laughs> um, if by day four you feel they have learnt it, you can sit down and say, do you know what, I really think you've really got this consequence. So I reckon we'll just do five days rather than two weeks. What you do is, yes, they've got it, and you'll know, you'll know in your bones when they've got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also what you've done is restored hope and love. Because mm. it's really hard, really hard maintaining two full weeks when you've got it by day five. 
Yes. Yeah. And can they, what can I do to earn that back, mummy? Give them a consistent, significant chore that takes an hour. Make it hard to earn back. Don't make it easy. Mm. And you're That's teaching like pro- all these. It's like yeah. junior parole. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Just and like, like I said, at the end of the day, you know, um, none of these things, you know, it's the consistency and, and if when it becomes too much. That's our challenge. Yeah. That's uh, that's parenting in a nutshell, my goodness. In a nutshell, in a nutshell. Thank and grandparenting. Thank you. Yeah, oh, I can imagine. Well, actually, my son said to me yesterday, Mum, do you think you're going to be like Gaggy, which is my mum, that's what he calls her, when you're a grandma? And I said, yeah, I think there'll be quite a few things that I'm, I'm like her. Um, he goes, I think you'll be a bit stricter, though. <laughs> Like, oh, really? Why? He's like, you're just really good at putting your foot down when it's time. <laughs> and he's always said that about me. He's like, you know when to push me and you know when to ease yeah. up. But it's interesting. Um, but I said, maybe when I'm a grandma, I'll be a little bit more fun, though. No, they know Nanny's face when Nanny says it doesn't happen often, huh? <laughs> but it's my face. Mm. Yeah. So we do have that line still. Yes. Yes, it's, it's maybe a little bit more ba- more flexible. Yep. Yeah, a lot a lot softer and a lot more flexible. Yeah, I love it, Maggie. Thank you. We always just learn so much oh, from you. So. And, um, and I can't wait to share this. Can we, I will share with everybody the How to Be a Good Friend link because I think that'd be really handy for our younger kids. And, uh, and I have one of the Parental as Anything podcasts is about friendships. You could link at the bottom of it. I did that one with Claire Orange. That's quite a good one to put in. Perfect. Shall do. And then, of course, your book. My Bring book. Woo. Can't wait to, um, to share that as well. <laughs> Thanks, Maggie. Good luck with the tour. Thank you so uh, much. We'll chat again soon. Woo-hoo. Bye, Alex. Cheers. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.